0: The following program is brought to you by We Are Many. To learn more about this program, or to find others like it, check out WeAreMany.org.
1: Okay. When I talk about the past, I don't present it as the future You stitching up the system, I'm the suture Remove or refuse to anesthetize I don't respect the lies and the cries Best designer, hard or less aggressive side Oh, a happy accident Not for that, back to this have to rip the stitches off the livers of them bastards Had it with the shell game and acting life lottery Leaf card molly cannot be the way it's gotta be Claiming this a meritocracy, I do not agree Fine explain to me how George wept the bush atop the heap Even in this class he couldn't be the best they have I ain't into crying so I laugh and laugh Scheming on the day I can grab the lash hand trap the wrath and whoop master's ass
2: yeah.
1: Uh, good morning and welcome to the session of <laughs> Socialism 2009, <laughs> a new left for a new era. Um, I'm Damien Smith. I'm from D.C. I'll be your chair today. Um, today uh, this session is You Can't Stop Us Now, Hip-Hop a New Political Era, and Alex Billet, is going to be giving a presentation. Alex is a music journalist and he's a writer and activist in Chicago. He's his writings appeared in Socialist Worker, Counterpunch, ZNet, and other places. He also has a blog. He's he's also a columnist for SleptOn.com, and he's, he's a nice guy like Alex. Um, and Alex is going to present on hip hop. You know, my first love for. Uh, mm-hmm. 45 minutes, maybe even 50. Um, and then we're going to open it up to discussion. I'll explain discussion uh, when that begins, if you have never done this before. And with that, Alex, spill it.
3: All right, you know what? First of all, let's give it up. Let's give it up for this for this guy. Damien Smith, also known also known as Slim Goins. He's going to be performing tomorrow night, Rebel Sounds, right here. Goins. Yeah, he is silent. <laughs> Sorry, Goins. Goins. He's gonna be performing right here, S O Nine Rebel Sounds tomorrow night, and let's give it up for him one more time. Damn,
1: I can't
3: do that one tomorrow. <laughs> all right. So how y'all doing? Great. Come on. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's a talk on hip hop. Come on, man. This ain't n- none of this. None of this. <laughs> Bullshit! Come on.
2: the ball.
3: <laughs> That's exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, I think it's a really exciting time to be talking about hip hop right now. For me, I've never, I've never seen a more dynamic time in hip hop in my time as a fan of this music. I was born in, uh, I was born in '82. Are, are there any other people here born in '82? One. All right, all right. right, Before that. (laughs) (laughs) 1981? Anyone born in 81? No, no one. 1980? All right, so who was born in 1979? All right, all right. Well, y'all were born during a very, very significant year in hip-hop. Let me tell y'all a little bit about what was going on in 1979. Disco was king, though it was thankfully fading. Um... (laughs) Ronald Reagan was on the cusp of winning the White House. New York City was just starting to emerge from a budget crisis that had caused everything from blackouts to riots. And a little song called Rapper's Delight was played on the radio for the very first time. Now Rapper's Delight was far from the first rap song. In fact the Sugar Hill Gang were more or less created in the studio specifically for the creation of that one song. It was however at that point the first rap single to gain that level of exposure on mainstream radio. It reached number 36 on the pop charts, reached number 4 on the R&B charts, and became the first hip-hop single to achieve gold status, selling over half a million copies. Now, one could definitely argue that there were countless artists who should have hit it big before Sugar Hill. But one thing is indisputable. The floodgates were open, and the world had just been exposed to a new sound that would revolutionize the way we think not just about music, but about culture, race, and even politics here in the United States. So it's appropriate, as we're sitting here in this room on the 30th anniversary of Rap's Big Break, hip-hop is the most popular and influential it has ever been. In 30 years it's gone from simply a Bronx thing to a youth culture with the allegiance of thousands, uh, well countless, more than thousands, millions of working-class folks. Black, white, Asian, Arab, Latino, man, woman, gay, straight, from L.A. to Venezuela, from Uganda to Palestine to South Korea. It's impossible to go anywhere without finding a vibrant hip-hop subculture. More significantly, though, I think this level of popularity that we're seeing right now reflects the sea change in politics that we are seeing here in the United States and globally. When hip-hop first started to form in the Bronx, the U.S. was on the verge of a shift to the right in politics. Jobs were being slashed, unions were being busted, Social services were being cut left and right. Entire neighborhoods, especially poor neighborhoods of color, were being essentially abandoned as investment hit an all-time low. A new, what was called later, the neoliberal consensus was being plotted out in Washington, where the idea that government owed anything to the people was essentially being completely scrapped. Social responsibility was replaced with individual responsibility. You know, c- taxes on corporations and the rich were slashed under Reagan in the 1980s. This also necessitated that the U.S. roll back the gains of the 1960s. The movement against U.S. imperialism, the women's liberation movement, and of course the civil rights and black power movements. Hip-hop's very aesthetic rejected these types of politics. It was rebel music, from the get-go, and still is to this very day. If you think about what's at the core of rap music and hip-hop culture, the way the beats are put together, the delivery of the uh, the rhymes, the fashion, the graffiti art, they may not always be explicit in their contrarianism to the the mainstream, but it's also worth asking why so many politicians have bristled at the very existence of this music. (laughs) Jeff Chang, hip-hop journalist and author of the indispensable Can't Stop, Won't Stop, explains it well when he says hip-hop became a fertile space not exclusively but significantly for alternative discourses around the politics of abandonment and the politics of containment. To put it more clearly hip-hop was the fuck you I won't do what you tell me. And this provides I think some insight into why the music is so incredibly influential today. Hip-hop's current popularity reflects the crumbling the crumbling uh, credibility of neoliberalism in the face of the current economic crisis that we are living through right now. Over the past decade, and I'm mostly going to be focusing on the past decade of hip-hop, it's been an erratic journey. It's had ups and downs, Um, it's also taken a significant leap in terms of its form, its content, and the way people perceive it. To the American establishment that's always considered hip-hop a threat, it's gone from a best in nuisance and at worst a menace, to now something that simply has to be accepted and dealt with. Even if it's kept at arm's length, it has to be accepted. And that has everything to do with the fact that right now, ordinary people are also looking for a way to make their own voices heard. There's an interconnection between the two. Art's a very tricky thing to talk about as a socialist. It both responds to its own rules, and it's affected by what goes on in the outside world at large. Uh, This is especially true when we talk about uh, a music like hip-hop, that essentially came from the bottom up of society. So when we talk about hip-hop in a new political era, Uh, I want to touch briefly on the era that came before. And if you think about hip-hop at the end of the the 1990s, it was definitely on a pedestal that it had never reached before. It went from being considered something of a novelty by much of the mainstream music establishment to a legitimate art form. The rise of gangster rap in the late 80s had essentially uh, pulled it away from being considered simply an East Coast thing, and a New York City thing specifically. But also by the end of the 90s, you had uh, artists from all over the country topping the charts. You had Chicago, Philly, Houston, Detroit, Kansas City, Atlanta. Um, also, by the end of the decade, D.C., also by the end of the, uh, the decade in. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> but soon. Um, also, by the. Uh... Wale. Wale, exactly, man. Keep your eye on that man, man. He's free... All right, anyway. And also, by the end of the decade, I think there was a diversity in rap that was being acknowledged for the first time. And though this diversity was kind of being segregated into different categories, southern rap, the. Uh, alternative rap, conscious hip-hop, it was, uh, it was being acknowledged for the first time and that was a very big thing. Um, this has everything to do with so many events that happened in the 90s. The, the first Gulf War, the LA riots, the high profile of Mumia Abu-Jamal's case, the police killing of Amadou Diallo, erection during the 90s. I mean by the end of the 90s, let's think about this. You had Lauryn Hill on the cover of Time Magazine with the headline Hip-Hop Nation. This is a very big thing that I think reflects both the diversity and the sort of the height that hip-hop had reached by the end of the 90s. And the slow but steady rise in class consciousness that I think we were seeing in the 90s was intimately intertwined with the rise of the hip-hop nation during that same decade. And we might wonder what would have happened, uh, what what it would have looked like if this trend would have continued uninterrupted. But that wasn't to be the case. Uh, When the World Trade Center and the Pentagon were attacked on September 11, 2001, the political terrain shifted dramatically back to the right. I mean, George Bush, I mean, I, everyone in here remembers this. George Bush was on, on TV coining the term axis of evil. He's saying you're either with us or against us. Civil liberties became pretty much a luxury. Now, I mean, you had politicians and pundits essentially justifying, openly justifying racial profiling in the newspapers, on TV, from the, plat- from the floors of Congress. And needless to say, anything that vaguely smacked of rebellion during this time essentially was a cardinal sin. And uh, a lot of previously rebellious artists either silenced themselves or fell in lockstep with the War on Terror. I mean, Lauryn Hill essentially dropped off the face of the earth after 9-11. Which I think speaks on how big of a shift it was, how big of a switch it was. But at the same time, it's notable that uh, many artists also stepped up and questioned, well before it was fashionable, the core of the War on Terror, the Patriot Act, and this whole shift back to the right. Um, And the best and most timely example of how the music changed, I think, after 9-11, ironically comes from an album that was um, recorded a few months before the attacks. Uh, DMX's The Great Depression is a really fantastic album, and it was a break from a lot of the flashiness that had dominated large sections of rap. The 9-11 attacks had essentially sent the American economy into a recession, and the uh, the album's artwork featured a rusted out Rolls Royce, a crumbling New York City pier that essentially was was kind of a uh, a message that Bling's name uh, Bling's days were numbered. And this is you know uh, this is also during the height of the Giuliani years. I mean, like it, when when Giuliani specifically in New York City was just you know gutting a lot of the living standards of working people and essentially making New York City into a chemistry set for what neoliberalism had in store for the rest of the country. Um, and in terms of the content, the Great Depression not only reflected this, but it was, it was dark, it was dirty, and it expressed a massive amount of virulent outrage against uh, the American system. And I'm going to go ahead and play a, uh, play a track, the lead single from it, entitled uh, Who We Be. It's a really excellent oh, no. song. <laughs> so let me just pull this up. Who
1: knows that? <laughs> The chance to the What we see it is
4: is the streets, the cops, the system, harassment, the options, get shot, go to jail, or get your ass kicked, the lawyers, the part, the art, of the puzzle, the release, the warning, try not to get in trouble, the stitches, the eyes, the probation, the parole, the new charge, the bail, the warrant, the hole, the cell.
3: whole friggin' song. <laughs> no, no. This is really, it's really amazing. I mean, like, you, you, you think about how almost all of American culture this time was imbued with this, like, you know, like, fanatical flag waving, this hollow celebratory pride. In that, to how this song sounds, I mean, the track is staccato, it's angry as hell. It sounds like X is just, like, wine enough to punch someone. And he's not so much rapping here, I think, as he is just, like, listing the myriad crimes of the United States and throwing it back in the system's face. And songs like this were directly influenced by the sorry state of black America before 9-11, but as it was released a month after the attacks, Who We Be took on a whole different meaning. Journalist Marcus Reeves describes it this way. Although the Great Depression was a message to material-obsessed rappers that they were about to experience hard days, the timing of the release was perfect for X's wholehearted expression. In the face of the country's lockstep against terrorism, Middle Eastern terrorism, who we be revealed what was already clear to most, to many in post-black power America. Racism is terrorism, the oldest form of terrorism, which America has known and freely committed. I mean, that's something that, like, really, really sticks out to me. The period following 9-11, though, also included a backlash against much of hip-hop. Hip-hop had always been open to and subject to a level of vilification. Tipper Gore, the PMRC, Bob Dole, Bill Clinton in his 1992 election campaign. But after 9-11, I think it took on a, a particularly virulent form uh, that were that essentially were designed, concerted attempts to knock hip-hop out of the popularity it reached in the previous decade. Um the avowedly communist group the coup had spent most of their previous decade banging around the underground uh... but when it was discovered that their uh, 2001 album party music was originally going to feature a picture of boots riley and pam the Funkstress standing at the bottom of, it, of an exploding world trade center folks flit. <laughs> <laughs> the cover was designed in june uh... well but be, well before the <laughs> The cover was, uh, was originally designed in uh, June, well before the attacks, and Riley described it as a metaphor for the capitalist state being destroyed through music. Uh, the group, which I think is really awesome, you know, <laughs> Reg- regardless of, you know, 9-11 and everything, it's really fucking awesome. Uh, the group postponed the album's release so the cover art could be changed, but for the hardcore right, it obviously wasn't enough. I mean, uh, the coup's management received reams of hate mail. Uh, there were right-wing message boards laden with comments that we should quote-unquote string boots up. Uh, And the conservative pundit Michelle Malkin uh, called the album... I know, I know, she wants to be Ann Coulter so bad. Um, (laughs) The conservative pundit Michelle Malkin uh, called the album a stomach-turning example of anti-Americanism disguised as highbrow intellectual expression. Much like her writing. Here's what she said also, I'm sick of America getting a bad rap from artists like Boots Riley. He belongs in a capitalism-free cave in Tora Bora, spewing his poetry around an Al-Qaeda campfire. Wow. Yeah, I mean like just the, the, the level of racism in that against both well, hip-hop and, uh, and Arabs is just disgusting. Now the irony of all this is that actually the coup got exposed to a whole new audience that they probably would have yeah. never yeah. been exposed to <laughs> otherwise. And uh, th- right now, they're probably the most popular they've ever been. They were on, a couple nights ago, they were on, uh, 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 well, Boots Riley with Tom Morello was on uh, Jimmy Fallon. He, th- Who knows if he would have actually achieved that um, had uh, had this whole controversy not happened. Uh, party Music made the best of 2001 list. Uh... uh for like the San Francisco Chronicle, Time Out New York, The Washington Post. So it shows that despite the massive shift to the right that America had taken almost overnight, the coup's newfound success revealed that there was a significant minority of people who weren't completely willing to go along with what was happening. Um, if artists like DMA quality was expressly directed at the contradictions of New York City in the wake of 9-11, uh, Kweli is one of those artists who, had spent, who has pretty much spent most of his career uh, lumped into the conscious category, both as a solo MC uh, and during his time with, a, with Reflection Eternal and Black Star. And he commented frequently on how the label had hindered his own artistic development. Kweli came up as part of the, the Native Tongues collective, which is part of uh, the, that's the grouping of artists that included a tribe called Quest, uh, De La Soul, Jungle Brothers, Queen Latifah in her early days pre-Chicago. Makeup, um, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, um, but by the beginning of the twenty-first century, that there was like there was this false divide between mainstream hip hop and conscious hip hop, that I think uh, meant that artists who were branded conscious really risk risk being pigeonholed and never really breaking out. And Quali released this album as an experiment to see if you could make an album with a mainstream sound that still like, kept its, its musical and uh, content integrity. And uh, I would argue that he actually he walks that line quite successfully. The beats are really danceable, but there's also an intricacy and a, subtle, a subtlety to them. And also, he doesn't rest on his poetic laurels at all during, uh, during this album. I mean, uh, songs are just dripping with immediacy and a great amount of genuine worry. About what the future holds for America, specifically Americans of color. I'm going to play a bit of a track called uh, "The Proud," um, that's off of off of this album. Uh, really, specifically, it's a verse uh, looking at uh, post-9/11 New York.
2: Now for once, and the is that thousands of permanently gone,
0: and there children. We see the best examples of humanity peace in and and the world police officers, and of all sorts, quite fight to save lives. The
2: world will never be the same again.
0: Go out to everybody at ground zero. Red, black, yellow, white, and brown heroes. More complicated than black and white. To keep your own life, it's the greatest sacrifice. But it's hard for me to work on the block. the raps and roaches, crack files, and 40 apps posters. People broken down from years of oppression. We got patriots when they wait your life is threatened. is a hard conversation to have. We lost kids, moms, and dads. People ready to fight for the flag. Damn, when this shit get this back? America killed
4: an innocent two. The cycle follows the sad damn.
3: The been years, but much more clear. All right, so, I mean, you listen to that song. I mean, it's an incredibly powerful uh, verse uh, that implicitly asks, why would I go fight a war abroad when I'm still oppressed here at home? And then people, I hope people can understand the lyrics coming out of these speakers. They're you not know, the best ones, but I think people still get kind of the message. Um, quality would go on to gain gold status, and it uh, garnered incredibly positive reviews from uh, Pitchfork, uh, Rolling Stone, Blender, and others, uh, and was, it was once again made some of the, uh, some of the best of 2002 lists. And I think what we see between these two songs is a breaking down of musical boundaries, a blurring of the lines between the false categories of mainstream and conscious or alternative. And though the big music presses weren't really savvy to it at this point, uh, it was definitely happening and was bound to develop only more as the music itself was shaped by the events in the coming years. Uh, The biggest event to break the stranglehold of the right wing uh, was, of course, the invasion of Iraq and the impending invasion of Iraq. Massive protests around the world. People know all this, I mean, including the the biggest protest and biggest day of protest in human history, February 15th overnight, back to one that was decidedly anti-Bush. And as the election geared up in 2004, you saw a lot of popular music's energy being channeled toward uh, getting Texas's idiot son out of office. Um, the Dixie Chicks uh, provoked outrage when they said they were ashamed to be from the same state as Bush. Uh, Green Day released "American Idiot," the rock against Bush compilation in the punk rock field came out. But the best anti-Bush song to come out during the election, I think, uh, or during the election season, I think, actually came from of all artists, Eminem. Um, there's a lot to say about Eminem because he's provoked probably more controversy than any artist in recent history. Um, and there's a lot to say. There's, a, I mean, there's a lot to say about him. I mean, his sexism, his homophobia, and it's unfortunate that these are part of his lyrics because he is truly an amazing MC. Um, and I'm going to speak about these phenomena in hip-hop a little bit later, the sexism and homophobia, but I'll say right now that it's important, in fact necessary, for us to openly, openly disagree and take issue with such lyrics no matter what artist or genre they come from because I think ultimately sexism and homophobia hold, hit, hold hip-hop back. And I think that it's important that we take issue with this. However, we also need to realize that this is not the reason that Congress and the establishment pundits went after Eminem. That may have been the reason they said up front, but the real reason they were afraid of him was because Eminem represents something dangerous to them. He's a rapper who's white. He is essentially a white man who has rejected the traditional assumptions of what it means to be white. And essentially, uh, not only that, he gained unprecedented popularity doing so. When Eminem broke out, it became a revelation, positive to some, horrifying to others, that most people who buy hip-hop are actually white in this country. And it essentially uh, showing the most ordinary people instinctually identified with the music's expression of alienation and rebellion, and that it wasn't simply a racially-based music, um, which Eminem recognized in his track, White America. Uh, when M came out with Mosh a week before the 2004 elections, it stirred a similar uproar, and I'm just going to play a verse from that real quick. So, cue this up. Living next to a high-endarchy,
2: strapped in with an AK-47, let it go. Five years on the war, got a new
5: best daddy that way. No more blood, no oil. We got our own battles to
6: fight. No more psychological
7: warfare to trick us to thinking that we're yet loyal If we don't serve
2: our own country we patronizing our hero. Look in his eyes, it's all lies The stars and stripes that this wife One child and wife In replaced with his own case Locked That's disgusting, man It's nice tonight, you don't know why That's I told you to fight Come along, follow me
1: That beat is
3: disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) That that track takes me back. (laughs) Now, the computer animated video for Mosh that was released uh, a week before the election highlights the massive outrage that Eminem was really legitimately tapping into. Uh, Like the song, it's unrelenting. It's calculated but chaotic at the same time. It sounds almost... Well, it's, it sounds like an anti-war march. Actually, is what it sounds like to me, and what it looked like. And actually, it features uh, the video features several different storylines: a soldier getting deployed to Iraq, a single mom receiving an eviction notice. That ends with a mass of people breaking through a police line to storm the U.S. Capitol. The video, however, showed some of the limitations being placed on the anti-Bush sentiment at this point. Originally, the crowd bursts into the Capitol, and they essentially, the original version of the video, yeah. they bum-rush Congress. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're like, the version that was originally released, I'm sure more people have seen that one. Everyone rushes into the Capitol to get in a nice, orderly line to vote. And this gets at the... I mean, when does that ever happen in human history? Yeah! Okay. <laughs> <Storm> <laughs> this is... <laughs> yeah, single file, right? Anyway, but I think this gets at the crux of the anti-Bush hatred during the 04 elections. Even though most of the hip-hop community hated Bush just as much as the rest of the country, if not more, the only alternative was the pro-war, pro-racist John Kerry. Uh, this was unfortunate because for the first time in in history, pretty much, the 04 elections saw the talk about hip, a hip-hop vote. This was incredibly significant. It was now being acknowledged, albeit far from in every circle, that rap and hip-hop had the power to shape people's outlooks on the world and specifically in politics. And the 04 election saw a series of attempts to harness the music's, uh, music and culture's energy in a political direction. The problem is, though, that because anybody but Bush was so soaked into the political fabric of this country at the time, uh, these, these uh, attempts were largely failures. Uh, the National Hip Hop uh, Political Convention in June before the elections uh, held in Newark, New Jersey, failed, by most accounts, to construct a cogent political platform. Even Puffy's Voter Die campaign,
2: <laughs>
3: yeah, I'm right there with you, um, was which was probably the most visible, unfortunately, of all of these, was incredibly apolitical, and Kerry himself kept it at arm's length. I don't think he even mentioned the Voter Die campaign. And when Kerry lost, and we found out that we were going to have to buckle down for another four years of Bush, a lot of that organized energy that had been channeled into the campaign, diverted into the campaign, it either fizzled out or it, ended up, or it ended up confused and demoralized. In turn, I think 2004 was the beginning of a demoralizing and rather confusing time for hip-hop fans and hip-hop artists in general. Uh, the Roots drummer Questlove would describe it as a numbing period for artists of color left of center, um, and I think uh, this is a time when lots of artists struggled to gain recognition or simply dropped out of the business. Uh, not long after the elections, it was revealed that the NYPD had, for the past five years, been operating a hip-hop task force whose expressed intention was to observe and keep files on rap artists and their entourages. Uh, in essence, it was racial profiling with a strong element of Pro thrown in. Uh, But the program's claim that its existence was in response to several rap-related incidents of violence found a wide audience among commentators who were convinced that hip-hop had somehow lost its soul. Artists like T.I. and 50 Cent were pointed to as proof that the music had become too violent, too commercialized, too misogynistic, too material-obsessed, and really out of touch with reality. Marcus Reeves puts it this way, as the overall message of commercial rap has been so unwilling to bend with the times, the winds have shifted threateningly away from rap music. And indeed sales of rap did decline during this period from 04 uh, from 05 to 06, hip hop sales went down 21% and in 2007 they declined a further 33% from the year before. Uh, Looking at simply the album sales, however, uh, misses the bigger picture of hip hop in general. Uh, First, we need to recognize that 05 and 06 were a time when the music industry in general went into a deep crisis that it still has yet to pull itself out of. Um, And second, uh, what the argument misses is that that there there are always countless underground artists willing to push the envelope that are more or less ignored by a music industry that is spineless, like pretty much every industry. No. Its job is to produce a commodity at the cheapest possible way uh, method to do it, and the safest possible method to do it. Now, none of this is to say that there weren't positive things that were happening in the mainstream too. 2005 and 2006 saw the uh, were years to saw the rise of artists like Kanye West and Lupe Fiasco, uh, both of whom I think brought a freshness in terms of uh, sound and content to hip-hop, and also gained a wide audience well beyond the music's boundaries. So when Kanye went on NBC, a month after Hurricane Katrina wiped out New Orleans and looked at the camera and said, George Bush doesn't care about black people, he had a very wide audience. Uh, I'm sure there were a lot of heads nodding in this country. I know most heads in here were nodding. Uh, nonetheless, uh, no. <laughs> 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 nonetheless, the feeling that uh, hip-hop was in trouble ran, uh, ran very deep. Uh, the declining sales uh, and the concerns over commercialization were weighing so heavily that even one of rap's biggest stars was forecasting a rather bleak future for the music. Uh, Nas's Hip-Hop is Dead Released in two thousand six, was one of the most controversial albums of that year. On the title track, he he lamented the direction of the in which the music had gone. Uh, I can't. I'm just gonna play the outro of this song. Uh, but uh, folks have probably heard it in here. It samples "Inagada de Vita by Iron Butterfly. It sounds like a funeral dirge at times. It really does. It's like, but there's also a fight to the song. It's not like like Nas is so much mourning, hip hop's death, as he is just like using his last ounce of fight, last last bit of strength to try to save it, to try to rescue it, and so I'm just going to play the outro of this song, um, really quickly, that I think is most explicit in its uh, in its um, in what what he uh, what, what he's thinking about hip hop at the time. <laughs>
1: Everybody sound the same, commercialize the game
6: Reminiscing when it wasn't all business They forgot where it started So we all gather here
1: for the daily departed hip hop since the time One homeboy became a man then a monster If it dies, let me get my last with a rocker R.I.P. will donate your lungs or roster Went from turntables to MP3s From B-Street to commercials, on Mickey making D's From gold cables to Jacobs, From plain facials to Botox and facelifts I'm looking over my shoulder It's about 80 people from my hood that should and it came to show love
4: so concert in the doors
3: were shut I mean it's pretty clear that Nas is none too happy about the state of the music uh, which is once again speaks to the depth of the perceived crisis that hip-hop was in at the time now in the spring of 2007 this crisis really came to a head thanks to one man Imus Don fucking Imus <laughs> Jesus I, this, Turns my stomach to say his name. Imus' comments about the Rutgers women's basketball team being nappy-headed hoes on his show provoked a level of outrage that eventually led to his firing and a rather hollow apology. Uh, however, when he turned up on the Today Show, he qualified the apology by saying, I may be a white man, as if that weren't obvious. But I know that young black women all through society are demeaned and disparaged and disrespected by their own men, and that they are called that name." And he went on to say that rap artists in particular call women worse names than I ever did. As if on cue, the media picked up on this excuse and ran with it. Within a week, it were as if the comments were made by Snoop Dogg instead of Imus. And actually, Bob Herbert of the New York Times wrote a column comparing Imus to Snoop Dogg, saying they were essentially two sides of the same coin. Uh, the contra- <laughs> now the controversy even reached Capitol Hill, where Congressman Bobby Rush uh, held title uh, held hearings titled "From Imus to Industry." Uh, now, despite the title, what's notable about all the all this back and forth, all this hubbub, was that none of it was directed against the record executives who were willing to market s- uh, such sexist ideas and encourage them in their industry. But instead, it pointed the finger at hip hop artists themselves as the main purveyors of sexist ideas. This argument had been What's up? What's that? Up? This argument had been rehashed in relation to hip hop uh, time and time again. However, when it comes down when it comes from politicians and pundits who normally couldn't uh, give a damn about women's rights, uh, it amounts essentially to a white man's burden argument that asserts people of color still need to be civilized by a superior white uh, culture. Yes. There are plenty of artists uh, in rap and hip-hop that degrade women. There are also countless of rock acts that do the same. Aerosmith, one of the biggest rock bands in the world, has never produced a single video that doesn't feature a scantily clad woman, and that's just the tip of the iceberg with rock and roll. Uh, What this argument misses is that we live in a system that is by its very nature sexist and those ideas are going to show up everywhere. Mm -hmm. As Joan Walsh of of Salon Magazine wrote, rappers didn't invent sick notions of black women as sexual objects in America. Those ideas have an old, old history here, going back to the days when the chains black men wore weren't blank. Now, if any outsiders were actually willing to point, uh, who were willing to point the finger at hip hop, really had bothered to scratch below the surface, they would have seen that there's already a debate happening in the hip hop community about the sexism in it, sexism inside the art form. They'd see women who identify themselves as hip hop feminists, like Joan Morgan. Uh, uh, the feminism and hip-hop summit that happened right here in Chicago in 2005, and uncompromisingly radical women like Rosa Clemente, who stood as the vice presidential nominee for the Green Party last year as an open hip-hop candidate. Now, none of this uh, made it to the debate with the Imus fallout. Um, and actually, it's in this spirit that I want to play a song that was released around the same time by Jean Grey, who I think is one of the best MCs in the business, male or female, but has been systematically ignored by uh, a music industry. Uh that uh like all industries is afraid to push the boundaries and is also afraid of strong women. Yes. Right, I got it together. Oh uh, <laughs> whoops. Oh uh, thanks for the other headquarters. Thanks everybody.
2: Got to right so uh, can, I uh, uh, can I get a soul clap? Come on, Can I get a soul clap? Come on. Can I get a soul clap? Come on. The world has got smaller than D
8: Postal production of G Most D is stuck in the lane i am walking control of it Head high, gravity of hand Shoot mass again when it can This is when you lose You can catch it damn I'm
9: not a model I'm very emotional I don't even offer But the truth is Fluid and dependent hostile Anything possible Follow
3: Alright, I gotta stop there once again I wish I could play the whole song But I mean, clearly she's got skills I mean, clearly she has skills that can That can top, probably most men in the industry I'd say, and if Gene Grey were on a major label it wouldn't be quite so easy to brand hip-hop as narrow and one-sided, but most mainstream commentators weren't interested in complexity in their arguments in the, the wake of Imus, rather I think they were just simply interested in scapegoating. Um, you now, Given the height of the attacks by 2007 uh, against hip-hop, it was really quite stunning the way that hip-hop flipped around in 2008. Completely, from being like vilified to being top of its game again. And I think this flip in hip-hop has a lot to do with two things. The economic polls revealed that today's young people think the U.S. should already be out of Iraq. They want more money spent on schools and hospitals. They want a national health care plan. And uh, uh, most significantly, this generation is the most multiracial and most tolerant generation to ever go for the polls, go to the polls in an election. And uh, the change in popular opinion was highlighted by the fact that this is the same generation who are about to elect the first black man president in a country built on racism. It's essentially a rejection of all the constructs of neoliberalism uh, that was only deepened by the onset of the economic crisis this past September. Um, you know, the idea, like, Obama really inspired people, and it, it, it's, it's a very big, stark change from 2004 where people are holding their noses to, uh, to vote for John Kerry. He really inspired people, and uh, hip hop was not immune to this inspiration. The most obvious example would be the Will I Am video, Yes We Can. And the fact that Obama actually made this an official part of his campaign was historic. There's never been a mainstream political campaign that actually put hip hop at the center like that. But further than that, the Obama campaign provoked a flowering of outspokenness from the hip hop community on a whole range of issues. Chang puts it this way in a recent interview I did with him I think hip hop represented well this past year. The most astute political pundits this year weren't the bullshit talking heads on the networks. They were artists like Bun B and David Banner. That that these artists could speak truth to power tells me they felt the shift deeply and were given enough confidence to say what they really felt. We often look to artists to lead, but the truth is that the people always lead the artists. Uh, Chang goes on to say that the turning point for him was when Young Jeezy was actually called out on saying some uh, some vaguely nice remarks about John McCain. Uh, Jeezy was actually like called out on it and was forced to respond, and he did so quite movingly, essentially saying, "No, I'm actually vote- voting for Obama, and the reason I'm voting for him is because my mom is sick and she can't afford to pay her medical bills." And which I think it, this is someone who's been labeled a crack rapper you know whose like whose own um, whose own music is, has been like been denounced several times but it's also it's also, it's also yeah. but it's also notable that the album that he was promoting at the time was entitled The Recession a an album that was actually released in December 2007 well before anyone in the mainstream media was talking about go, about the fact that the economy was about to go into a deep deep slump Jeezy was of course not the only artist to start vocalizing his opinions on race and class in America the earliest palpable expression of this came in April of last year, April of 08, when the two New York uh, police officers who uh, killed 23-year-old Sean Bell were acquitted of murder, it provoked massive protests in New York City, and also massive outrage from within the hip-hop community, from Ice Cube to Immortal Technique to Chameleon Air. The Game and Joel Ortiz released songs on their websites dedicated to Bell and protesting the verdict, Brooklyn MC Papu, who I think is one of the best underground artists out there, released a video of a new track called We Shall Overcome, where he angrily declared, They, they want us to hold on. Where he, angri- uh, he angrily declared, How can they fight? How can they find freedom in South Iraq, please? They can't even find freedom in Southside Queens. I think gets to the depth of what was happening. This is clearly a frustrating event, but one where people weren't really willing to take it lying down because the prospect of real change was actually palpable now with the Obama campaign. To a lot of people it was very palpable and this rediscovered fervor for change reignited many artists that year. The Roots released one of their most expansive and politically explosive albums ever the Dimes started to come out of the woodwork. Artists had disappeared after 9-11. Erica Badu released a great album with powerful denunciations of racism, sexism, poverty. Uh, Zack de la Roca, frontman of Rage Against the Machine, who essentially went into self-imposed exile after the, after the band broke up in uh, 2000, uh, er, uh, early 2000, uh, released One Day as a Lion, and it surprised a lot of people that he could still be relevant and really still have sick skills with a mic. Uh, Obama might have even been the first presidential candidate to have a Russell Simmons DJ Green Lantern mixtape. The Yes We Can mixtape, it was dedicated to him, which shows the kind of fervor that was, that was uh, developing right now. Um, this speaks to how hungry the hip-hop community had become and how excited it was to find an opportunity to express the, the need for real change. The best example of how much things had changed, however, I think came from the very artist who had declared hip-hop dead two and a half years before, and that was Nas with his song um, uh, Black President that was released on his uh, Untitled album that was pretty, pretty <laughs> close to a... Yeah. <laughs> that was originally scheduled to be uh, named after the N-word uh, as a direct fuck you to Imus, and all the people that had, that had uh, blamed hip-hop for Imus. Not with the A um, What's that? Not with the A either. No, yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, he originally, uh, oh, shit, I lost my place. But the uproar from the studio and stations, uh, radio stations, as well as his own label, prevented him from doing so. But uh, that being said, I think Untitled is pretty damn close to a masterpiece, it's really, it's just full of just amazing tracks. And I'm gonna play his enthusiastic endorsement of Obama, the final track off the album, entitled Black President. So I just want people to pay real attention to the samples and the lyrics real quick here. And it
2: seems, yes,
3: I mean, like, first of all, there's a few things to mention about that track. One thing is the counter is uh, the sample that says we ain't ready to have a black president is from a Tupac Shakur song. Uh, 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 that was released, I think, '94, uh, not long before he was killed. Um, and he's counter Nas is directly counterposing that with the "Yes We Can." I mean, it's just showing how far we've come. And, but you actually listen to the lyrics in that first verse. He's not necessarily talking about Obama. What he's talking about is the change, what needs to change in America, and specifically in poor neighborhoods of color. Uh, Nas, I think, became more confident as an artist and as an activist. Actually, right around the time that this album was released, he showed up at the, at the doorstep of Fox News with a 600,000-strong petition demanding that Bill O'Reilly apologize for the terrorist fist bump comment made about Michelle and Barack Obama. And I think it's this kind of confidence uh, among ordinary people that really set the 08 elections apart. Ten years after we were labeled a hip-hop nation, as Russell Simmons calls him, the first hip-hop president. Now, I actually want to take up this notion of the hip-hop president. (laughs) Yeah, I gotta admit, it's pretty cool to have someone in the White House who has Jay-Z and Kanye West on their iPod. It's cool to have someone in the White House who actually knows how to operate uh, an iPod. Um, But ultimately, I think the notion of a hip-hop president is bogus, because it projects the idea that hip-hop struggle is somehow over. This isn't the case. It bears remembering that when push came to shove during the Imus debacle, Obama was all too eager to parrot the line that hip-hop was to blame for sexism. This is worth keeping in mind today as he backpedals on health care, the war, and remains silent over the subjugation of Palestinians. And of course, he proves less and less able to pull this country out of the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. Once again, I'm gonna quote Jeff Chang. "Does, Does the Obama victory mean hip hop has nothing more to say? No. There will be lots of celebratory art, lots of inspirational art, and lots of art that feels free to speak the truth to current conditions about the economy and the war, liberated somewhat from the narrow constrictions of the industry. Could Barack Obama have stopped Oscar Grant from getting shot? No. So I think hip-hop still has a lot of work to do. It's actually interesting that uh, Chang mentions Oscar Grant because, like Sean Bell, there were a good amount of artists that wrote songs uh, dedicated to Grant after he was shot in Oakland. Uh, the amazing thing about, how, about uh, now is that hip-hop is probably more ready and able to do that work that Chang talked about than it has been in a decade. Since the elections, uh, there hasn't been any real lack of artists willing to uh, relate to the storm brewing as Americans start to uh, search out alternatives for the uh, start out to search out alternatives for the system. Even artists like Cam'ron and Yah Boy, like uh, very in the who are in the who are in that center, uh, the kind of gangster rap, crack rapper kind of uh, vein, have also been forced to speak out in the gap that exists between the height of people's hopes and the depth of the recession. Um, and there's also new movements happening in hip-hop right now. There's no one sound that's dominant, but I think the rise of artists like the Cool Kids, the Nux, Kid Sister, Mickey Fax, Kids in the Hall, that are kind of mislabeled hipster rap, which I think is a really unfortunate title to call a music. Um, but uh, these are these are artists that are very much sort of resistant to the, the pressures that the music industry wants to put on, on artists. And I'm going to wrap up real quick, but I think perhaps the most encouraging development in hip-hop recently um, is the rise of M.I.A., Uh, whose sound, and indeed her very existence, speaks to how much of a global phenomenon hip-hop has truly become. MIA was recently uh, named one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People, which I think is massive that a female Tamil MC who emigrated to London from Sri Lanka, due to her father's ties to left-wing guerrilla groups, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. is now one of the most recognizable faces in music is a really, really big deal. Um, Not that it's been easy for her to to achieve this status. Uh, She's had her videos censored and banned from MTV. She's been prevented from entering the United States. And uh, many people have been very willing to uh, brand her a terrorist um, because of her lyrics. None of this has caused her to back down, though. During the most recent uh, civil war in Sri Lanka, she was relentless in speaking out against the government's repression of the country's Tamil minority. When she appeared on the Tava Smiley show in January, she said, being the only Tamil uh, in the Western media, I really have a great opportunity to to bring forward what's going on in Sri Lanka, that there's a genocide going on. And uh, I'm just going to play really quickly before I wrap up um, something from World Town Talk. Um, But, so... I'm just gonna play this real quick and then I'm gonna wrap up. Sort of on, really, it yeah, start. exactly.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: You can really hear an unashamed radicalism in this song. The notion that if you don't give us what we want, we're just going to take it. You know, I mean, like, the gun's being loaded in it. I mean, that's pretty friggin', I mean, like, you can't really mistake what that's all about. <laughs> and in a time when people are having their jobs and their homes stolen from them by greedy bankers, that's something well worth remembering. Uh, but even all this is nothing compared, I think, to what hip-hop could be and what we're maybe seeing just the beginnings of right now. During major upheavals in this country, we've seen amazing flourishes of music, art, and culture that put the vision of a better world on the agenda. From the rise of folk in the 30s to the iconic insurgent sounds of the 1960s, history has shown that when people start toying with the idea of taking control of their own lives, then human creativity itself really knows no limits. And we're only on the cusp of seeing those types of upheaval, uh, upheavals and uh right now in this country, but with hip-hop being the most dominant art form right now, I really seriously look forward to what it might have in store as these uprisings only start to develop. There's, um, ever since Rapper's Delight came out, I think there's been this, this instinct and this, this knowledge in this country that it's obvious that hip-hop has the heart and soul to really take on the world, but it doesn't quite have the legs. And uh, I think that's where we come in.
1: Good stuff. All right, um, so how discussion is going to work if you were at the earlier session, you get this, you're going to raise your hand. I'll recognize something about you as I don't know all your names and I can't see your name tag even in the front row because I'm kind of blind. So I'll call on like your shirt if I recognize your face, so be it. I'll put you on a list and I'll call on you in turn. Please, there's n- no cross-talking. You'll, you'll be called on when you're recognized and if you want to get back on the list, raise your hand again so that everybody gets a chance to speak. Um, I'm going to give you guys about 45 minutes, you might run a little long, we might not, but I I got a feeling that there's a lot to talk about with this particular particular subject. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. and we started late, and next is lunch. So, (laughs) So, uh, with that, I'm going to open up the list and raise your hand. Like,
6: basically, the industry kind of controls, you know, artists that want to challenge people, but like take Sidon for example. Mm-hmm. Like he's been talking forever about how, you know, he came from maybe a violent background, but like he wants to use his music to change, you know, challenge the system. But mm-hmm. he hasn't gotten a, a fair deal like, to this day. Like he said his
5: album has been done for years and he has not gotten a fair deal with I believe he's on Atlantic Records and
2: mm-hmm.
5: they're, they're not helping him out. So what what do you make of that? Like the industry
6: comes, you know, floating, I guess. I don't know
1: you know, less challenging even maybe than mm-hmm. maybe. Good question, good question. Um, um, I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to call on you in turn. I've got a few people on the list. Um, but how it's going to work those out. It's going to come back at the end and wrap up. Or if somebody uh, can't answer that question from the floor, they can answer it later. But, you know, that's a good point, especially about Saigon. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, right Ready?
10: Um, I'm really glad that you brought up MIA. Um, I've, I've been listening to her since her, I think it was her first track, her first album, Are You Um And um, the, the American version of the album didn't have this track called Cherokee Indian, and I was lucky enough to get, someone burned me the CD, and it was the UK edition. And listen to that track, if you're interested, interested in MIA, Cherokee Indian for me really, like, um, it, it comes off as like, well, it's a blatantly anti-American. Um, It's blatantly anti. um, These like how America was founded off of the genocide of Native Americans, and how like it it was. It came out during the Bush era, so there's very blatant, um, like President Bush doing takeover, and very blatant um, and catchy (laughs) um, things regarding the the Bush administration. So check that out. But just and if you get the American version and realize what track she put in place. It's it's really funny because then the, the track that she put in place of that's like this. At first, if you don't listen to the lyrics, you think it's like this meaningless like cell phones track. But I don't know, it's just really interesting. To me, so
11: check
3: that out.
10: I, I don't know what the replacement track's called. It's like the, I don't know, I, don't, all I know it's like the.
3: Is that the, do you U-R-A-Q-T? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, the Sample Sanford song, yeah. theme song. Yeah. Nice.
12: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Come and join you, Elizabeth. <laughs>
12: Alright, my name's Josh. Uh, I used to work in the uh, uh, music, entertainment, everything industry, that site, but so on the point of the, on the point of the industry being what they are, I mean, they go for the lowest, the the, the actual record, big, you know, uh, publishers like uh, Atlantic, and Sony, BMG, and them, they go for the lowest common denominator. Their whole business is making a profit. They don't care how they make a profit as long as they make a profit. And if that profit means that they need to sell to the most backwards people, you know, mm-hmm. the most backwards consciousness, that's what they're gonna do, and they're gonna promote that. And by also promoting, you know, and continuously promoting this, you know, these uh, historically proven methods of sexism, homophobia, race, all the, all that they do on all of their various labels, um, both in country and hip hop and rock and whatnot, mm-hmm. they're you know it, it reinforces their you know their business model every time that they make a profit off of that. So they they go back and like look look we made all this money off of you know the scantily clad women in the mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. in all uh, in the Aerosmith videos. Why would we not do that again? And that's what their that's their opinion. And 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 at the same time they will not set against it. They lock them up. I mean, it's a couple guys in a room making decisions on what's going to get get on the air, and that's why you know I think the internet has been such a great thing for really bringing out the independent um, artists um, and, and bringing them up. Um, but one real, real quick album that I think should or a thing that should be mentioned is the uh, the slingshot. Uh, Hip hop movement in mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So Palestine, um, and the uh, and the and the great um, album from the uh, from the Philistines, uh, "Free the P," uh, that they they, they helped put together, um, and <laughs> I, I think these. that you know what's going on, you know with uh, you know talking about you know you know resistance in Palestine, but at the same time you know talking about you know talking about what it's like to grow up under apartheid, um, in in Israel and Palestine, but you know at the same time you know. Uh, talking about you know how th- how this violence that you know has been used as a method isn't going to bring them further. So I think that you know that's a you know a really important aspect to hip hop today mm-hmm. um, in, in po- politics. Absolutely.
1: Nice. All right. Just so we have the uh, fullest discussion possible, I'm going to try to keep you out of about three three and a half minutes. If you hear this tap, it is not a, an indictment on the quality of your intervention. It's just that we got to keep it moving. Um, so with that, uh, Navid.
7: I was just going to uh, follow up on what Jesse was saying and what uh, the gentleman over here Wait, was
1: actually, saying. before you speak, can you say your name and where you're from? I'm sorry, I should have oh, said sure. that
7: earlier. Uh, my name is <laughs> be Nasser. I'm from D.C. Uh, I was just going to follow up on what Jesse was saying over here and what uh, the gentleman over the back was saying. Basically, um, it's true. The, the industry promotes uh, certain artists that they feel they can generate the most income for them, and that's generally the lowest common denominator. There's no reason on God's green earth why Luke, you know, would
2: be selling records you
7: know, I mean, it's just the most ridiculous most awful shit you've ever heard in your life and he sells like millions of I, I don't
1: know who buys those records you know. I I, I, I want to meet someone who has all of Luke's records go to Miami <laughs> they exist
7: <laughs> I'm, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure I, I don't get it at all Genuine talented artists like Saigon yeah. get brushed yeah. aside, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it's ridiculous, it really is, it's a shame. Um, I blame Master P for a
3: lot of it. Sherry? A lot of people
1: said
3: what I was going to say, I'm Sherry from BC. Um, I really enjoyed your talk, Alex. It was really good. Um, there's a couple of songs I really want in there, like, Did Why? Yes, and me too. I Just to get by. Hip-hop is definitely some great music to dance to and everything. Except for when you get those de- degrading songs, those mm-hmm. that, that make the profit, like Josh was saying, like, mm-hmm. Juveniles, back that ass up, or whatever. Yeah. His um, name's Juvenile. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's a good point. Well, I think it's good that we come to a discussion like that to actually like evaluate um, how hip-hop, hip-hop has changed um, over the years. But one question I did have is um, now that Obama's president, what type of music do you expect? Do you think people are just going to just sit there and lay there, like, okay, just celebrating that we have a black president? Do you think they're, they're going to still come out with good songs to like challenge the system and make sure they get used more motivated to like mm-hmm. thinking about rights in their community, like things about AIDS, um, gay rights, things like
1: I Hi, my man in the back in August. Yeah,
5: and just
1: um, uh, first, can you say your name where you're from?
5: Oh, yeah, my name is. which is actually part of what I'm going to say, because Atlanta um, is, you know, has its own distinctive sound culture. Yeah. But um, in hip-hop production, um, there's already been a slight change. to this movie called Black Boy Swag, White Boy Tags. (laughs) Um, You know uh, that song, Ain't Died by Young Nita Austin and Young Mm -hmm. Drill. It's like one of the famous ones. Anyway, that's their movie. That's one example of how um, racial distinctions are being overcome in the medium of culture in the Obama era. And I think that that is significant for us as social.
1: The movement. He said I think he said uh, black boy swag, oh, yeah. white boy tags. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> <laughs> Kicking okay, my man in the back in the white tee?
6: Body. Like he killed somebody before he's like whatever. Like I'm out the streets, I went to school and start getting away from it. So now I'm going through it now. Before in two thousand six I made a song called Hop Out the Cut. The whole half of Connecticut had us on the iPod. And then when I was in the hospital a little bit later I came out the clock. Like I think I get so much respect back home because my family like to still ride for me. But now I'm in a situation where WGCI, Chicago's biggest hip hop station, emailed me and was telling me to come through and interview me, but I guess they expected me to be extra feminine, or I none of my crew is gay. Like, all my crew was straight men. and me on site. So now they're stunting on me on the interview. My PO thinks I'm some, not a clown, but she expected me to be a certain way. So she wasn't trying to let me leave the state. I said, fuck it, and I left it anyway. But
2: just like God. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
6: like my MySpace page is popping, I'm back home, it's like sometimes I rebel, when I go through mood swings, and I can't sit still, but I expect people to judge me, and they don't, and the majority of people listen to my music is straight, but I usually watch, Another reason why I guess the radio station then, um, like my next album I'm dropping, is called shoot the and before that. But sometimes that's just the way you express yourself. So, I just don't know, how would I be able to get out here? Because in Connecticut, it's not a big music business state, and I don't really like New York, I don't really like New York i I always have bad experience with New York because they think they're so hardcore. And it's like, it's I usually but I want to know, how would I be able to, like, get into the game and let my music out? Like, if you go to YouTube, I got a video called The Fuck Boy Anthem. Uh, I know they call it the Fuck Boy and stuff like that, but back home, I'm, I'm hot. And, you know what I mean? But it's like, outside Connecticut, outside the pavement, it's like, I can't get no shine anymore. It's like, how I many people I got to you know, punch in the shit? You know, somebody, like, you know, like, give me a chance.
1: Oh good. Well, hey, that's a uh, question I had to ask. Well just real quick, yeah, right, uh right. what should my space? Uh what's your MySpace address? You Bangout
6: clip. But and it's another thing. A lot of people in New Haven like try to copy my our name. So you gotta go to the bang out clip at the bottom. It's a dude with a hoodie, a mask, and he's like holding like a gun or whatever. But it's the first song up here is about fighting oppression. I try to now I'm trying to get a little political in it.
1: Uh, was the MySpace, this is You got uh, search music. Alright, so, yeah. That's what's up? Uh, Dave Z. Yeah,
0: hey, my name is Dave. Uh, without hip-hop, there's no way I'd become a socialist or mm-hmm. end up in this organization, and I was going to talk about that, but I'd rather just say a little bit about, first of all, something that you said and something that, that Jesse said talking about Saigon very quickly. I mean, and it relates to Sherry's question about what will hip-hop look like in this new period. And I think part of, like, those of us as artists who also want to see struggle deepen and grow, I think we have to also recognize right now that there's a new civil rights movement of our uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgendered brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. And we need to think about ways how to deepen those connections between both the African-American community and the hip-hop community and that movement. Because there is a huge division, as people probably know, that came out after Prop 8, when it was like, let's blame the black people for not voting against Prop 8, and that's I, I was absolutely garbage and absolutely disproven. And you also, I was just at Pride in D.C., and you had tons of young working-class African Americans who came out to Pride. And so I would be like, like for you, it's like, you should call your album like, who are you calling, faggot? Not, uh, I'm gonna shoot you in the head, faggot, because that I mean that is something that's gonna put up a wall between you and people who would be very sympathetic to you and what you stand for. And I think artists being conscious of that is so important right now. And it's something that, that, that we need to take very close to heart. And that, that's the second thing, it goes to this question about like, I really wanna sort of disagree with the strain that's coming out in this discussion that says that um, the reason why artists might be racist, sexist, or homophobic, or why the industry puts that out is because that's what sells. And I think that that's not a full argument at all. And it's not something that we should accept at all. And because let me tell you something, Rage Against the Machine, which has a hip-hop component to it, platinum, platinum, platinum. Mm-hmm. Saigon, who was mentioned, he had a feature role on the hit series Entourage, and that should have been a springboard for him to become a platinum artist, but that didn't come into play. The conscious artists don't get play because racism, sexism, and homophobia are in the marrow of capital and homophobics, and they are not gonna put out music that challenges their power. Mm-hmm. I completely believe that there is an opening for hardcore, serious, left-wing, political, movement, hip-hop. And it would find a mass audience in this country. And that's something we could, should celebrate. Recently in New York City, Public Enemy did the entire It Takes a Nation of Millions to Call Us Back in the park with The Roots playing live in background.
1: Mm-hmm. And this nice. In park, <laughs> this
0: was in Central Park. Have you ever been there? It's kind of big. A little bit. <laughs> and there wasn't enough room for everybody to come hear it. Jeez. There is an audience of people who are desperate for this kind of music. And the fact that industry won't put it out means definitely we need to exploit things like MySpace and Facebook. We also need to actually build a movement in this country that fights for these progressive ideas because that's also what's gonna create the space for more artists. And I just have to just end very briefly with this, unless you want to shut me up, which you have the privilege to do as chair. But like to, like to me it's like it's like it's no coincidence that it was right. Kanye West saying That that you know about uh, George Bush doesn't care about black people. I mean, when I was growing up, hip hop it was a music. It wasn't you liked it or didn't like it. You were either for it or you're against it. And Mm -hmm. it still has that spine of rebel music to it. The week after Reagan died, Public Enemy was on. You see how old I am? I keep referencing Public Enemy. (laughs) (laughs) Come up and talk. You're so friends
1: with Chuck D. And so so they're
0: they're on VH1 on some idiotic hip hop honors show. But it's the week after Reagan died, and everyone's (laughs) weeping for Reagan. And, and, and Chuck D, he was doing Fight the Power, and he changes the lyrics and he says, Reagan was a hero to most. And then everybody goes, what? And he goes, Reagan was a hero to most. They go, what? Reagan was a hero to most. Reagan was a hero to most. And he says it like 10 times. He says, but he
1: never meant shit to me. Straight out racist. A that stuff on the symbol and
2: plain Motherfuck
1: him <laughs> no, and John Wayne! No. And John McCain? Labor
0: came in and said, Motherfuck him and George Bush. And they pulled down the mic and walked off the
2: stage.
1: And nice. The
0: crowd went
2: nuts. Yeah. And
0: that is the audience for our music, our rebel music, our hip hop, which is going to emerge in the days
2: to come. Woo. <laughs>
1: And you're the lucky man who gets to follow that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean,
13: I think, like, this... Uh, Naming from? uh, Oh, yeah, I'm Gary from uh, Springfield, Mass, now Amherst Branch, ISO. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think, like, this, you know, the idea that there's a sort of, like, this split between, like, mainstream hip-hop and, like, underground hip-hop, and that one is commercial and all about bling and everything, and the other one's all about, uh, you know, the conscious side. It's not, I mean, if you look at, like, I was thinking of, um, Big puns, capital punishment. the album,
2: mm-hmm.
13: uh, which has you know, like the it has the hit single I think still not a player, which mm-hmm. is like, you know. But then if you look at like the track capital punishment, where he's talking about capital punishment and how it's you know a genocidal policy against uh, Black and Latino people in New York, um, or um, he's got this one line on I forget which, I, don't, I don't keep it in my CD player a lot, so I don't know all the names of the tracks. But there's one where he's like. Um, it's too explicit. Bullshit. I challenged the statistic. Violence existed before our music was even suggested.
2: You know what I mean? like a
13: mainstream crack, but he's making that same point about how you know it's not our invention. It's the society. It's the situation that we're living in. So I think that we should we, we should look a little deeper than the singles on a lot of these albums because there's a lot of uh, a lot of gems in there. Um, and then just slingshot hip hop. And I don't know if Josh mentioned that, but I That's really incredible. encourage folks to check that out. And I think there's. Really, a huge potential there. Like uh, the town we organized in Amherst, um, Hampshire College. um, You know, there's been a couple rallies that we've been involved in with like you know a few hundred people coming out. And um, Dam, who is uh, Mm -hmm. featured in Slingshot Hip Hop, sort of started hip hop in Palestine, um, was performed at Hampshire. You know, and there were tons of people there, and it was like this. You know, expanded the audience beyond, uh, uh, it wasn't the same group of people who are out to protest, it was a new group of people and I think that's, that's, a, that's a key role that hip-hop can play now, is bringing people who aren't traditionally into politics into politics.
1: Nice. Okay, um, let's put myself on the list next. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm allowed to do that. I'm, it is at my own discretion. Anyway, um, but the thing I was going to talk about was um, well recently I just heard a song that I've been hearing about for a while called DoA, Jay Z's Death of Auto Tune. Oh, mm, don't know yeah, if anybody's yeah, yeah. heard that. Anybody knows what Auto Tune is? If you don't, then yeah. lucky you, because yeah. Jesus Christ, it's terrible. It's a computer <laughs> program. It's the T Pain frog sound thing that they do, and also tired, all of it, and
7: heartbreaking.
1: The thing about the thing about auto tune itself is uh, the, the issue isn't that autotune itself is bad; it's that it represents a commod uh, commo- uh, commodification. Yeah. It, 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 it represents turning uh, art into commodity and into mass-produced, yeah. reproduced, pre-packaged. You know, crap like the stuff you buy at Walmart or Target that breaks easily. And so essentially, every song is somebody doing auto tune. T Pain shows up somewhere, you know, and it's all this slick, overproduced, uh, you know, pre packaged, prefab garbage. And what frustrates me as an artist is that we see that people have to you know do things like what Jay-Z just did and throw down the gauntlet against basically most of most of uh, the music genre that made him a very rich man although I guess when you Jay-Z you don't need to make friends anymore but we are seeing artists have to fight fight again for the artistic soul of a music that for years we've had to struggle just to be recognized as art standalone art I mean I have arguments all the time where people say oh you know that's just the same beat from from, from back in the day and 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 I have to argue with them about why sampling is a legitimate art form and, cause frankly, I think if you don't like sampling, you can't appreciate collage. Yeah. Yeah. You feel me? Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, I just wanted to I just wanted to uh, put that out there. Is that one thing I think that 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 we're, that, that we're gonna see, and uh, Hove, you know, le uh led the charge, and it's an attempt to re re-ass- reassert hip hop as the cutting edge rebel art form that it used to be and not this thing that tales where you got an artist like Common who went from a song like I uh, called I Used to Lover and now doing songs with the Jonas brothers. Oh. <laughs> oh. I wish I was making that up. I wish that was a joke. <laughs> I really wish. Uh, you know I got my man right here next.
14: I'm Ben from Madison. Um kind of a question I
11: apologize for that. But um I just been just beginning to realize that the impact that hip hop can have on kind of political consciousness, you know. Um, for five years I was trying to get my brother to get into politics, uh, you know, he's he's very angry, fuck the system kind of thing. I'm trying to get him into like reading history and that sort of thing and yep wouldn't touch it with a ten foot pole. And then one of my comrades burned a, a mixed uh, CD of uh, some coup songs and I showed yeah. that you know it's just crazy. <laughs> and the cool thing about it is that he is. Always been into hip hop since he was thirteen. He's always tried to get me to listen to it, um, and now due to this sort of you know back and forth, he's shown me a lot of really fantastic groups that he started getting finding underground our websites and that kind of thing. Um, but I guess my, my question was about uh, about Tupac because his his appreciation for hip hop was really cemented back in the mid nineties with, with Tupac, and just loves. And I was just wondering what people thought about his
1: on you know on the genre. Um okay, uh I got next. Um, um I'm sorry, you you're not done? You, 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 okay. Okay. Well I I've, I've got the woman in the purple next. Me or
11: her?
1: The woman in the purple next.
8: <laughs> okay. Um I'm Elise I'm from Amherst. Um I love immortal technique and um but Sometimes he's sexist and, um, and that's offensive. But also, it's like contradictory because, like, what I think what he stands for in general is like awesome, mm-hmm. and I want to support that. So I'm wondering, like, and I understand that um, that some of it might be a product of this like um, intrinsically sexist and homophobic society that we're a part of. But um, like, isn't it? Possible for him, as like kind of a voice box for revolution, to not be sexist? Yeah. Should be, Yeah. I mean, uh, it sounds really simple. So, like, that's my question. Like, what do you think right. has to happen for people like Moral Technique, who I really respect, um, to stop kind of doing that?
1: Um, Nick.
14: Yeah, I just wanted to ask the question because um, it seems to me like. Hip hop has retained its rebel status as a music, as a popular as a popular music form, much longer than, you know, what you know like jazz or you know rock and roll or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, I think part of that has to do with the gen, you know, the genesis of, of hip hop. You know, mm-hmm. coming out, of, coming out of the streets, coming out of, you know, coming out of, you know, um, uh, a reaction to, you know, to, to racism, etc. But I just wanted to get like other people's sense of that because um, I don't know it's just like is it like what is it that's intri- you know is there something intrinsic to hip-hop that allows it to maintain that you know that that's that rebel status mm. as opposed to you know other popular art forms you know through you know over the last you know fifty sixty years or whatever um, you know or is it something that you know like been, you know we'll say you know in, 20 years, 20 years or something, we'll just say, oh, hip-hop used to be rebellious, you know, but now it's you know, now it's all, you know, like, rock in the 70s, and, you know, um, you, know and you know, it could be more dynamic than that, but I guess it's sort of like that essential character of hip-hop, does that make it intrinsically rebellious, or is there, you know, um, I don't know, I hope people get what I'm asking.
1: Yeah, I do. Um, okay, uh, Alex Bennett.
15: Okay. Uh, I'm not sure what I want to say now. People did think of some interesting comments. But I mean I think part of it and I'm glad you brought up sampling and stuff as like, you know, what uh, as an art form, for me like that's that's one of the most interesting things about hip hop and I think maybe that's maybe that's part of where the where horrible destitute conditions in South Bronx the mid seventies. And it's like people are literally stealing music
2: that's already been made to right. kind of their own music and sort of recontextualize it and
15: Really interesting and vibrant ways, and you know, for me that again has music new importance in, in, in today's dire economic times to be doing that again and, and to kind of retain that. It just in that fabric of it is kind of a feud of the system way of like I can't afford to buy studio time and have expensive instruments and all that kind of stuff, so I have records and that's what I'm do with it. Um, uh, um, I think a, a, it's, it's really important to kind of tease out like the stuff that Dave was talking about and that, that Alex touched on and, and figure out different reasons why sexism and homophobia remain really pervasive, at least in mainstream hip-hop. Um, but it's also there in, in people like the moral technique. And, and I think it's like you know it's something that it's okay to like that music. I mean, I love lots of music. That's like that. It's okay to dance to it or whatever. Um, but it's you know it's part of something that I think we can hope to change um, as a, a wider sort of political um, uh, climate changes, and, and as things like uh, uh, LGBT rights asserts itself um, on the stage. You know that's going to change people's consciousness. Um, that's going to change people's consciousness for making music and also what people accept and want to hear and. and is, say is okay. I think in the meantime, though, it's, it's sort of like if you're someone who can actually talk to World Technique, and you talk about those ideas in a serious way the same way you would with a friend who's homophobic or something, um, and, and the same goes, I think, for mainstream stuff. I think it's important for us not to be like, to, to, to have a, a principled stance on those issues, but not to be like, you know, calling out these artists as the people who are the source of our problems and things like that. Um, I think, and, and, and there's another, in addition to the sexism and the homophobia, I think another aspect of it is uh, selling drugs. is often something a lot of people have a problem with in hip hop, and I think it's like, just just looking at that, it's it's the it's it's even to me more disgusting in some ways than the sexism and homophobia because that's the same conditions that created hip hop forced people into selling drugs, and, and 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 that's stuff like crack is something that was put into people's neighborhoods and, mm-hmm. and that has ruined many lives, but it's is also a way that people make a living now and it's like, the, the, that's something that also has to be called out from the right angle and not the, the victims rather than the actual victims. I got my man, uh, One again, wanted to respond.
1: And, uh, to respond to what he was saying, I'm coming to find that I think the homophobia and sexism last in the
6: music, because they probably don't have nobody that's To mm-hmm. me, where I'm at, I think that America moving in the right place because I don't experience it. I never did. And I'm not going to say I never will, but it's like the way I carried myself and maybe the way I used to get down, people just already know the deal, but if you carry yourself I don't, I don't. know. Maybe because well, my situation is different. But I think if somebody stand up saying, well, this is who it's like, the representation of the second side of the story. Me, I got that representation in your face. <laughs> I mean, so I mean, I it's, with the selling drugs part, a lot of times it goes to that individual person. Like I don't rap about stuff that I never lived, and I don't really rap about selling drugs like that because I never. If there there's some people who really in, in the grind or was in the grind and just like, like talking about some financial situation, stuff like that. I don't do it, but I don't really think that's worse to the sexism because stuff like that, like ignorance, racism, sexism, and stuff like that, that's ignorance that you grow with. That, that's ignorance. Sometimes you can't blame somebody for their ignorance. But selling drugs, that could be just something that you just got caught up in or something like that. Well,
1: that's fine. No doubt, no doubt. Never knock the hustle. It's the reason you're hustling. <laughs> uh, I got my man Wise in the back.
4: All right. Well, in, in our own perfect utopia, I think that everybody would have an understand and know that an artist like what we can it does represent what we want and what we want to hear as far as hip hop music. But he is a flawed man, and the vehicle in which the culture and music exists is also flawed. It's, um, it's engineered and ran by people who don't have our best interests and heart. so in this utopia. And even more rare than that, you find a, an artist like normal immortal technique who doesn't have a saxophone in his body, but you won't find it. The thing is, we, we've been brought up in society, towards certain things, and they're embedded in us, because, as, as he said. And again, he exists, the type of artist that he is exists because of what happened. Because of what society has bought you know, for Every The technique exists for the same reason. The struggles that or his music, or born his music. That's what he is. He, he represents that. But the thing is, this Nick Hip Hop, like Nick Politics. It's finite. We have to find a way to sort of like mix the Soldier Boy with the King have to sit at the same table and talk to each other, mm. because they all have a voice, and they all have they all capture a certain audience. We should not judge anybody's art just because he uses the word faggot in his music. Don't mean I don't want to hear. It. And just because overall technique might be somewhat sexist doesn't mean I'm still support it. You still have to get behind the vehicle of hip-hop because if it doesn't have the support of people who want to see it change, as he said, if you don't resist, it won't change. If you continue to say, ah, I can't explain, steal my crew, my little insular unit, it will not expand to the great that they, they said, the great rebel music that it is. It won't expand if we continue to talk to each other and ourselves still on little packets, on little clicks, over little units—forget that. We have to understand that hip hop is now progressing. The internet's helped; everything's helped. It is, it's a global phenomenon for a reason because it's important. So we need to start mixing
1: it together. So, actually, uh, put my, I, I i honestly had put myself back on the list to, to respond to that question. And now, wise, I—I I gotta uh, respond to what you just said. Um, While well, I. I appreciate uh, recognizing and accepting hip hop as a standalone art form and getting behind the the, the movement and the art that is hip hop. I also think, and I believe in my heart of hearts that the only reason I'm here is because I believe that as human beings we can do better. Sorry. And you know I think that as an art form hip hop can do better. And I've seen certain artists as they get older, as they experience different things, change mm-hmm. their. Uh, they're very sexist as it used to be. Right. You know this. You know Kanye West has actually o- openly come out against homophobia in hip hop. Right. You know uh, he, he's also very sexist. Right. That's the mixed consciousness that exists in the heads of all working people, not just hip hop artists. But it doesn't mean that we just accept the fact that because the con is this mixed consciousness nothing we can do about it. We have to challenge those things. Right. We have to challenge the sexism and the homophobia, or else uh, we're just we're just twisting in the wind and we're, the and we're just making the same. The same what, 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 what? All right, and with that said, uh, I'm right here.
16: Uh, Derek from Toledo. Um, I just want to say that uh, now I'm going to try to end up on that uh, that conversation, but really quick, I just want to say, um, as far as like like uh, everyone's read that this way fiasco song, you know, hip hop saved my life, right? But like, I don't know if it necessarily saved my life, but it sure changed my life because if, if, if it wasn't for hip hop, I think, like Dave said, I wouldn't be here today. Um, you know, Tupac introduced me to the Panthers, and, um, you know, he, uh, he was the first time, you know, I, I listened to his music, and I'm, I'm like, there's historical figures, he's talking about Huey P. getting shot, and, you know, I'm like, who's that, you know, and you look that up, and for the first time, I heard words like proletarian, and I'm like, you know, what, what is this, you know? So, like, <laughs> so, like, I, I was 16, you know, and it was like, it was amazing, and I, I just, like, that's, to me, like, that's the power of hip-hop, and, like, how it can change ideas, but, like, more importantly, um, and, and this is mm-hmm. what I really wanted to talk about, uh, was about, like, you know whether or not there's that demand for like left-wing radical like uh, music, and I think there. I think it is there. But I think, you know, and I think Jeff Chang said it really well. Um, in his book, he says, or not in his book, it was in an interview with, uh, I think he did with Brian Jones, but he says, um, you know, a lot of people want to aim their guns at 50 Cent, but they don't, uh, you know, talk about the structures that made 50 Cent. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you know, like we go back and we can talk about like the 1996 Telecommunications Act, which completely consolidated corporate, you know, radio into the hands of like a very small amount of corporations and CEOs, you know, Viacom uh, um, and Clear Channel and things like that. Um, and they would literally make playlists that they would just distribute, you know, like regionally. Like it was just the same playlist. They would do some like cuts the DJs to do some, you know, uh, would do some cuts, and it would be the exact same playlist like all over the region, you know. So it was very hard for independent artists to get in. Um, and I, I just like want to end on the example of like I don't think there's a better better example of that demand for like revolutionary music than like uh, the you know prior to the release of Immortal Technique's last album like if anyone in the hip hop community was like you know like you know everyone was excited for that like everyone was like when is he dropping his album and it took him so long to do it you know but like everyone the, if you message boards or forums or whatever like a lot hip hop and people were really excited and I think I think that is there it's just like how do we get it. You know, how do we get it out there? And I think Immortal Technique is doing a very good job of it. You know, he, he remained independent. He sells records, you know, on his own, on you know, on the streets and things like that. Like, he, I mean, he sells them directly. He's not going through, you know, a big publishing company. So I think that's, a, that's you know, an example we can learn from. So.
1: All right, we've got a couple more speakers. Um, I'm going to take a last round of hands and then cut the list off so uh, Alex can uh, can uh, come back. Uh, I got my guy back here I'll I'll go sweater. Yeah, I just wanted to
5: ask a question. Um, it's the same question that I asked Pete Rock. I don't know if you want know if he came to Yes. Right now. And Pete um, Rock is, is. Sort of appealing to the um, right. The aim of my question is, is to try to refocus um, or emphasize the need for the refocusing of this discussion of politics and hip-hop um, around class as opposed to race so much. Um, because when Pete Rock came, I think what can safely be described as a black bourgeoisie that was emerging. I don't know if any of you have been to like high schools and seen like black attorneys and stuff, but it's um, anyway. So the point is, that this is the question I asked. Um, uh, Hip hop as an art form, right, rap emerged under a very particular social and historical circumstances, right, working class um, people in the South Bronx. But as it becomes commodified, right, as it as it becomes packaged, it has to appeal to a wider consumer base. Which, as we know, is is seventy percent white, um, and so the question I asked P. Rocket, then, given that, you know, I, I didn't really get anywhere if I could have said something about Walter Benjamin, the work of art in the age of its, its technological reproducibility, which I actually wanted to do, but um, but that's so why I, I just said, is there any hope for authenticity in hip hop? And um, there was a point at which um, I don't I don't know if it can be said anymore. But there was a point in the in the early nineties when Bell Hooks Um, and there's a video of her saying this on YouTube, um, said that all discussion of authenticity um, in hip-hop is completely completely meaningless because of the way in which it's situated within a highly technological capitalist system of production. And and what what we're actually getting in hip-hop for a time, at least least when she was doing her culture, it's probably changed now, um, was basically the self-objectification of the fantasies of the white males who were consuming so then you have the commodification of the, of black female sexuality emerging in a lot of um, senior theses, right? Uh, a lot of people re- research that the area. That becomes a topic to, to be researched in, in the academy um, because of, of that cultural process. And I think, um, so, okay, rap had divorced from, or there was a time during which, a historical moment in which it became divorced from this local environment. Um, I think in repoliticizing um, um, any art form, we have to bring it back to um, the, the base, the economic base, the material conditions as um, well. So, yeah. So, so the question was authenticity. Is there any hope we should
13: try to make
1: Okay, uh, in the front again?
13: Um, yeah, I guess I. Well, stuff has been. You said a lot of what I was going to say about challenging people. Uh, I mean, I grew up uh, <clears throat> pretty homophobic and sexist myself, and it was challenged by right? people throughout my life, and that had a very, it forced me to look inward um, and, and change that, but, uh, I mean, with my music especially, like, I found, like, a lot of I, my MC, a lot of my early stuff was really, was, uh, I can't even listen to it, uh, some of the stuff that I was saying anymore, but, I um, mean, people challenged me, they were like, you know, why do you, why do you, Need to say that, like, first of all, it's wrong and challenge me on it being wrong. But there's sort of a lag where I found myself, like, kind of relying on some words that I don't, you know, uh, <clears throat> um, that I, I think are disgusting now. But once I sort of finally was like, okay, I'm going to break out of this, like, you know, you're right, like, I need to challenge myself, I need to, you know, um, I, need, I need to just completely exclude that from, from what I write, I found it was a really, like, it was a huge growth process because I, I think even with, like, moral technique, like, a lot of it's, I'll be listening to a song, and I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, his Islamophobia needs to be called out too. He's got some stuff yeah. on his new album. That's just like, holy shit. But th- that's, like, the worst part of the song. It's the least interesting part of the song. It's the most, like, you know, cliche. Like, once you if you break out of that, I feel like also artistically, you can grow more. Mm-hmm. So it's not, you know, yeah. Mm.
17: Um, I think it's very important to remember that, like, the essence of hip-hop is about springing forth knowledge. I went and saw a talk in Madison of an author I think it's from D.C. Allen Dotson Jr. I don't know if anybody's familiar with him, but he's like a young professor at a black college in D.C. who wrote a book about hip hop and the history of it, which really helped me understand the fundamentals of hip hop and how, like, the foundation of it was about. I, I think how he termed it was hip being knowledge, Hop being bringing forth the knowledge. And what I wanted to touch on from there is that authors like that got me introduced to Dead Press and also eventually led me to getting involved in activism. <coughs> so I think what all of us need to do is if we have independent hip hop that we like, that has a political message that we want other people to hear, we should be spreading the word instead of relying on them spreading their word,
1: because that's how the message gets spread. Cool. Hip-hop is just jumping from turntable to turntable. That's where the hip-hop comes from. I promise. I swear to God. Uh, Africa band named it because you jump from table to table. Um, that's an interesting little thing, but hip-hop means that. <laughs> <laughs> um I have a man in the back of the locker. Yeah, um, so I wanted to talk about
9: public enemy. Actually, what that meant to me growing up. So, listening to hip hop and then listening to like bands like Pixies and Funk Rock at the same time. Now, it, that those that, that, that took me, like, Pixies had an effect on my life, right? But nobody had an effect on my life like Public Enemy or Hip Hop, right? And the song, you know, like, Public Enemy's shit was so hot. The video was like, all, you know, the lyrics, you know, you go through it, it's so hot, but the, the one that, the one song that sticks out for me is uh, Burn,
10: Hollywood Burn, right? Because I had to say, Ice Cube why the fuck does Chuck D want to burn down Hollywood, right? And I <laughs> actually, through it and,
9: and figure that out and, like, made me think in an entire different way, right? And you know the song, he starts talking about racism in Hollywood, the lack of black films that are made. You know, like, he ain't gonna go to that movie cause you know, they ain't making that fucking movie for him and ain't worth shit. You know, this, like, <laughs> it's like, it's song, but he's saying Burn, Hollywood Burn, and it was like, that That for me was a song that shifted the way I had to think. And I think that that's a lot of what, uh, what public, I mean, a lot of like hip hop has done for me that like other genres of music haven't even been able to compose to doing. Um, the, and the one other thing I want to say is I'm glad that the, the argument about is hip hop dead I think it's over, and I haven't heard that said in like a year at this point in time. And actually, um, I think what we're seeing now is people's willingness, and I think M.I.A. played a, a big role in this, to actually embrace different, different hip-hop. I mean, the, the idea that Dom can tour around and like, you know, half the rhymes are, you know, they're not an English, people don't understand what they're saying, but people are dying to go to those shows, right, dying to see that movie people want more you know, stuff out of M.I.A., I think in the last year, year, year and a half, we've actually seen people open up a little bit more, it's different, you know, there's less of the arguing about like, well it's this type of hip hop or it's coming out of here, that's where it's at, I think there's more actual embracing of the different styles that are actually out there, which I think is a, a good stuff, and Is dead, which is great. Nice.
1: Um, yeah. Burn Hollywood, Burn was kind of like the Swagger Like Us of his time in that, you know, this was Chuck D, Ice Cube, and Big Daddy Kane, which was, if you if you threw Rakim in there, you had Mount Rushmore in, in 1990 as far as <laughs> yeah, hip-hop was yeah. concerned, so yeah. Um, you're going to have to be our final speaker because it's one and people want to eat lunch and get to other stuff. So with that, I'm going to take it back to Alex He can wrap up. All right,
3: so pretty good discussion, I think. Um, I did want to take up... Unfortunately, Nick's not here. Um, but like, what makes hip hop intrinsically rebellious? Why does it remain so rebellious when, like, you know, punk rock and so many other rebel art forms have kind of, you know, not not gone to the wayside? I'd say, but folks know what I mean. Um, what makes it what makes it intrinsically rebellious? Well, I, I think there's a few things in there. I think one is the form, with people which people have talked about. It's like it's anyone can do it. You know, I mean, you don't need to have skills on the guitar. All you need to ha- all you need is a turntable, and you know, a James Brown record, and you can and you can essentially make a hip hop song right there, and your own voice. And I think that's another thing that it's not it's a music where singing does not take the the front row. It's where simply talking takes the front row. Just kind of you know expressing. I think there's something a lot more visceral uh, visceral about the way the hip hop. Um, hip hop is that I think is why it's it's remained so rebellious for so long, um, which is why I, I mean I think I want to touch on another thing that was said during the discussion. Like being behind hip hop, I am one hundred percent behind hip hop, but being behind hip hop does not mean you don't you does not mean you you don't raise criticisms of it. I mean we need to, I, we need to be open in our criticism of the sexism and the homophobia in hip hop but I'm also going to I'm also going to counter that with saying we also need to be uh, we also need to be very vocal in our criticism of sexism homophobia in other genres too right. that simply are not uh-huh. talked about <laughs> You know, I mean, I'm sorry. White rock artists get a free ride with sexism and homophobia, and it's the black artists that get pitted against, essentially, the gay community and women, and And then there you have the, what, the white man's burden argument. We need to be critical of all sexism and homophobia and all exploitation in music, including the exploitation of artists themselves. Um, and I think that's... Which is why I think such a big... I'm glad the discussion focused so much... On the politics of the music industry itself, because when someone asks what what do you make of the fact that artists like Saigon don't get uh, don't get you know decent record deals, but you get you know really bad music put out instead, you get the Jonas Brothers getting put out instead, you know what do you what do I make of that? I what I make of that is that that's the industry's job. That's exact as I said before. That's like. This is why the music industry exists. Just the same as the car industry will manufacture a car that is going to break down and you gotta, you got to replace parts over time. They're going to sell you CDs that are essentially, I think, are going to leave people empty. And I think as people become more politically conscious are going to leave them emptier and emptier, but also are going to are going to simply not just go off what sells. But um, I think Dave Z had it right. It's not just, uh, it's not just what sells. It's what, what benefits the industry. Um, now, I'm going to wrap up on this that... I think that instinct in the industry can be completely overtaken. Uh, But it's been overtaken before, in the 60s, in the 30s. But I think what it's going to take is essentially a movement that can relate to hip-hop, that can relate to music itself, that can inspire... There have been times when the music industry has said, Shit, we don't have a choice except to put out Bob Dylan, even though he's in complete opposition to what we stand for. But we don't have a choice except to put him out because he sells. (laughs) Because people are radical right now, fuck! And then the, and, and then essentially the the industry has to sort of tail behind us, as opposed to the industry leading itself. We need to lead the industry by the neck. We need to grab it by its friggin'. We need to. I mean, I, I wish we could literally do it. Grab people like Jimmy Iovine and you know Edgar Bronfman. Literally grab them by the collar behind us. Maybe we will one day. But um, you know, I think that the the kind of music that needs to be produced, that I think we're already starting to see a hunger for. Um, Dave mentioned Public Enemy playing in uh, in uh, Central Park. I also think the Rock the Bells tour has started to really open up because you have mainstream artists and conscious artists being thrown up on the together in the same, same stage, kind of proving that it's a false distinction. And also you look at the politics of the... You go to the Rock the Bells tour and you can look at how many political tents are everywhere with the kind of stuff that's said from the stage. It's really, really inspiring. But I think... Pushing that forward is going to take us, and uh, that's why I'm glad people have brought up the slingshot, slingshot hip-hop movement, and I'll wrap up on this. I went to a show right here in Chicago that's, um, that was Dam from Palestine, Rebel Diaz, and um, uh, Shadia Mansour, who's a British-Palestinian artist. And um, they were, I mean, it was an incredible show, for one thing, just because the, uh, the solidarity was so palpable there between immigrant rights and Gaza. It was a benefit for Gaza. Um, But the solidarity between that and immigrant rights and women's rights were just being stated from the front. That's the future right there. And the interesting thing is the headliner was Dead Prez, and they were the most undynamic act of the night. Which, I'm going to say something controversial here. Dead Prez is undynamic. They They rely on heavy rhetoric as opposed to good form. And I think the, the the reason the rebel Diaz and Shadya Mansour and Dam were so much more popular and better on the stage that night is because they actually they've been they've come up in a time after Dead Prez. Don't don't get me wrong, Dead Prez I think have have laid have laid the groundwork, but I think what what rebel Diaz and Dam and Shadya Mansour are able to accomplish I think is a political consciousness that's just simply mixed in in a stylistic way. that's just better music, yeah. I think. I mean. And that I and I think that's that's what's that therein lies sort of how rebellion can become marketable. If we want rebellion to become marketable, then we need to ultimately do away with the whole idea of marketability, together, altogether. But I think once again, that's going to take us. I think the biggest thing I wanted to hammer home during this talk was the idea that, um, as Chang said, it's not the artists that lead the people; it's the people that lead the artists. If we want to see more class struggle in hip hop. That we need to make more class struggle. Yeah. We need to, we need yeah. to be able to build what, to build a left in this country that can help that can help correct the, the ideological contradictions with hip hop because they will ha- because they they will when there's a movement out there when there's a pro choice movement for women's rights then you know we are going to see less sexism in hip hop. The gay rights movement is already starting to have an effect <laughs> on hip hop with like the bounce movement and like actually an underground gay hip hop scene uh, that's actually its biggest in New Orleans right now. So what I think what we can hammer home is that if we do our job, then hip-hop can be bigger and better than it's ever been before, and I think music and art in general can be truly liberated. But once again, that's contingent on us doing our job.